Lord, give us vision. Give us vision to see your creation. Give us vision to see one another. Give us vision to see ourselves. Give us vision to see you. Amen. So it was the week before the 2016 election, you know, just a normal, um, unbusy time, when the Archbishop of Canterbury decided to visit the church I was um, uh, had an internship with. I was in seminary. It was at Church of the Epiphany in downtown D.C. For those of you who don't know a whole lot about the Episcopal Church, no worries, but it kind of works. Uh, the Episcopal Church is connected to a larger communion of churches all across the um, world. It's called the Anglican Communion, and it's not exactly the same, but it's kind of like the Pope for the Roman Catholics. The Archbishop of Canterbury is like this symbolic head of the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion, and that person, Rowan Williams, decided to visit our church while I was a seminarian there. It was awesome, okay? And so, um, in the midst of all that chaos, the week before the 2016 election. And um, so, we're getting closer to Sunday, and we're talking about, you know, who sits where, um, and how to organize the worship, and usually I would sit with the clergy, but there, there's too many clergy who wanted to be involved, and so they asked me to sit with the choir. I thought, that's great! I'd love to do that. Um, so, um, before worship started, I, you know, um, did that uh, selfless thing. I was just thinking about how to worship God. And also, would there be enough seats for me to actually sit with the choir? So, I counted the number of choir members and um, counted the number of chairs. Of course, they were missing one if I was going to sit there. So, I went up and I, like, literally, I literally, like, went into the church, took a chair and put it um, um, uh in the kind of chancel area next to the altar where the choir stood to make room for myself. <laughs> and so as we processed in, um, every choir member, including me, sat, stood um, next to their chair. All the chairs were taken. And the choir director was standing in front. And I realized when we all sat down, the choir director was going to need a chair and we were still one short. I thought, no problem, the church was brimming with people. It is so exciting uh, to be in that type of environment. And I said, ah, don't worry about it. So I voluntarily um, uh, moved off stage, <laughs> moved off the chancel, stepped down into the transept area. And the transept area um, to the right of the altar was uh, had been converted into a space for uh, young families. It's, Interesting model, really cool, I think, to have young children, toddlers in worship with everybody else. They had a nice big carpet and some blocks and a rocking chair uh, to kind of keep them engaged. And I sat alongside them. Now, after the procession had ended, the rector welcomed everyone. People from all over the, the whole diocese was invited. Um, interested people were invited, and uh, it, the church was full. And the rector welcomed everybody, and he said, if you have a young child, uh, uh, a family with young children, we have this great area, we'd love to invite you over. And this whole mob of people came forward. Now, in the transept is also an entrance exit door, and as they came, you know, I got up, I uh, gave up my seat, a whole bunch of people moved, I, moving further and further out, and I literally ended up outside the church. <laughs> Which is just like both, um, both uh, kind of hilarious uh, a personal thing, but also like my Looney Tunes life always happening. And here's like another great, I was literally outside the church, um, had started next to the altar, ended up 
outside the church, which is great. Okay. The Gospel of Mark works in similar ways, where you have um, stories that are, are, are personal and um, specific, but also that work in kind of general symbolic terms. For instance, uh, Mark's use of bread. Uh, it starts in the very beginning with chapter 2, where Jesus tells the story about David going into the house of God and stealing the bread of the presence because his companions were hungry. That connects to the feeding of the thousands stories a few chapters later, and then ultimately to the very end where Jesus is breaking bread uh, with his friends. Similarly, these last few weeks, we've been reading chapter 10 in the Gospel of Mark, and today's Gospel is meant to kind of counterbalance what we have read the last two weeks. The last two weeks have been stories of failure. <laughs> First with um, Amy's uh, sermon on the rich young ruler who says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, um, looks at him and loves him and says, you've got to give up everything that you own. And he walks away uh, disheartened. And then um, uh, next week with Ledley and James and John, oftentimes Peter is the one who's got a bad rap as being the black sheep. But clearly James and John, as Ledley points out, probably all of them secretly searching for power. <laughs> Jesus counters uh, those uh, requests for power with more stories of um, becoming servant of all and ultimately dying um, at, at the cross. Those two stories, which are, 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 are beautiful in their own particular way, are counterbalanced by today's story of Bartimaeus, who's sometimes referred to as blind Bartimaeus. When the disciples ask Jesus to, uh, uh, for a request, to, act, to say yes before they even ask him, which I think is a like perfect child's trick. Uh, he says to them, what do you want me to do for you? That same question is what happens for Bartimaeus. So let me set, set the scene just real quick with Bartimaeus. They're um, on their way up from Galilee. They're in Jericho, the last stop before getting to uh, Jerusalem, as Ledley pointed out, where Jesus' kind of final confrontation is going to happen. And on their way, um, a someone who's described as a blind uh, beggar uh, calls out to Jesus. And it says, you know, Jesus stands still, which I think is just this perfect, beautiful image of um, what spiritual and moral strength looks like. It requires stillness, um, is a great image for prayer. Jesus stands still and calls um, Bartimaeus to him, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus, unlike the rich, unlike the disciples seeking power, um, only asks for sight, vision. Now, that works um, as an incredible uh, story about someone regaining sight, but Mark, of course, also means it uh, at this symbolic level. Oh, and then, so, um, Jesus says, you know, uh, gives, gives his sight because of his faith. He gives a sight. And it says that Bartimaeus went on the way with him. And on the way, that phrase on the way is Mark's favorite way, uh, favorite uh, phrase for saying became a disciple. Literally, is now following Jesus. And that's what he used, uh, Mark uses all throughout the gospel to describe those who are, are, are following Jesus, people who are on the way. So, we have a story about someone who becomes a disciple of Jesus at the very end, right before they get to Jerusalem. And 
Um, what is characteristic of their discipleship is uh, this simple request from the poor and the outcast to merely be able to see. If you're anything like me, the last couple of weeks have been really tough. <laughs> really tough. It reminds me of a quote from Mark Twain, who said something like, Look, it's not the stuff in the Bible that I don't understand that troubles me. What troubles me is the stuff in the Bible I do understand, and I know I'll never be able to live up to. Um, and this last couple of weeks, I think, I don't know what he had in mind exactly, but it's certainly what I think about when I think about, um, am I ever going to live up to the thing that Jesus is calling us to do? With the rich young ruler, give up all that you own. And with um, James and John and his disciples, if you want to follow me, you have to be servant to all. <laughs> that seems like really hard. And wonderfully, the, the tension and the paradox of um, uh, week after week reflection about money and power in the middle of our annual campaign is a blessed, holy mystery <laughs> and a wonder for our church to um, both uh, talk about uh, our generosity and our plans for the future and to be forced to ask the most fundamental questions about integrity. Are we, are we the way that we say we are. Now, when we think about these tough questions, one thing that really comforts me is that the Bible in general, and Mark in particular, is littered with stories of failure. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is not just calling the people who've got it all, all put together. If that were the case, nobody would be able to follow him because there's no great examples. There are a couple. We'll get to that in a minute. There are not many great examples of people who've got it um, who are or hitting all, all cylinders is mostly littered with with failures. You've got the, the scribes and the Pharisees who totally misunderstand Jesus and try to kill him. Uh, you've got the disciples who are are getting private instruction all the time and still failing to understand at such a fundamental level that James and John ask to be able to sit in power at God's right hand. Just like no, that's not what's going on here. Also, you have Jesus who, at the end of his life, at his death, is abandoned by almost everyone that he chose, that he picked to be his disciples. Jesus is left nearly alone on the cross. Okay. So, we start off recognizing that, you know what? If we feel like we're failing, we're in good company. <laughs> but how do we move forward? How do we answer some of these like really difficult questions? And I'm going to add my little bits to um, uh, Amy and Ledley, who have just provided so much wonder and insight uh, 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 for me, and I'm sure for everybody else. When we're thinking about the temple, um, let's go back to the first century. The temple that Jesus knew was originally built so that it could be a place for all to gather. It literally, kind of the outer courtyard, was big enough to house everybody. <laughs> um, our temple now, I like to think of it in this... Okay, so there are, there are parts of capitalism that I just love. This is not a speech against capitalism, okay? But, and, and if we were um, in person, I'd, I'd ask uh, a child a few questions because they're really helpful on this point. Think about... Um, some basic capitalistic principles like going to Nat's stadium 
when you're at Nats Stadium, everything there is ordered by money. <laughs> this is not a complaint. I, I, uh, but a, a little bit of money gets you a little bit closer to the field. You know, and that is true throughout our society. It's a totally permeated idea. The the airport and um, uh, uh, just ever uh, money is going to be able to buy money. We 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 define um, uh, people's power. Cars that we drive, the houses that we own, um, all of those are symbols for our power. Okay. For those of you at home, totally understand. Uh, uh, this is a plug for in-person ministry, sometimes for the Eucharist. So I like to kind of counter that idea with what we do, um, uh, our, our kind of highest, one of our high great values, the Eucharist. In the Eucharist, we stand side to side, um, irrespective of uh, uh, power and position. Everyone waits, including the priests um, and the clergy, in the same line for Eucharist. Rich and poor alike, we come to God's table as one people. Um, we come before God as one. That's a high value. And now is our time to ask, are we the people we say that we are? When we think about the building and the annual campaign and the money that we have, We both ask ourselves about our past. We ask about the future. Who we are, our church is a place for all people. Of course, that's a comment about um, the poor and outsiders being welcome around our table. But I mean it um, um, in, this, in this universal way. Uh, that this church is a place of grace and forgiveness. No matter how much uh, you've messed up, <laughs> no matter how much, how unworthy some of you might feel um, to be in our community, it is that willingness, that vulnerability of stepping out and being a part of this community in, in whatever way that looks like for you, that makes us great. When we, all of us, um, can both welcome and feel accepted as a universal place to show and to feel God's grace, that is success in our system for our people. That is the thing of integrity. That's not to... Um, just spiritualize Jesus' point. Jesus also means that, that our church, that same um, glittering feeling when someone important walks through the doors. I remember stories about um, George H.W. Bush coming to a Christmas service, I think. Um, that glittering feeling when a person of power walks in. Also, we ask ourselves questions of integrity. Are we individually? Me, Joshua, Daniel, um, uh, and us as a parish, when we have someone who is homeless walk in, or someone who's just clearly poor or, or clearly uncomfortable, um, disregarded in our society, when they walk in, do we have that same glittering feeling? 
This is what Jesus invites us to. Now, look, um, this is a super complicated, <laughs> super complicated question about how to handle money. But the gospel is hopeful for all of its failures, all the failures that Jesus sees and experiences himself. Mark and Jesus hold up the gospel of Mark and the story with Jesus hold up Bartimaeus as an exemplar of faith. Bartimaeus does not ask to figure it all out. That's something that the disciples are interested in too. Bartimaeus does not ask to keep holding on to stuff, even his cloak, which he throws off. That's what the rich man does. All Bartimaeus asks for is vision, sight. And that's my sense of what this church is doing right now with the anti-racism task force, with the sacred ground class, with my own class on dismantling racism, and uh, with the, our outreach minute. We could go on and on and on. This is a place um, both trying to live into the gospel and also ask for vision. What do we do in this time, in this moment? with all the pressures of the world, all the pressures of our society, how do we live God's love? The first step is vision. Amen.